Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Michael Gabe and darkens the door with Barclays, their chief U.S. economist. Michael, frame out your GDP call. If you want to change it right now, we're all ears. <laughs> well, good morning, Tom, Lisa, and John. Um, look, I, I think I think Mike, I accurately framed it the way that I would, which is to me, this feels more like coming down from stimulus payments than it does reflecting uh, Delta variant fears. So I, I think we're going to we're going to return to an environment of more what I'll call pedestrian retail sales reports on average, because gains will be driven more by labor market income now, not by stimulus payments. So this was kind of a transition month in that regard. And what obviously gummed up the system was a lot of, of shortages uh, in terms of semiconductors and, and autos. So the X autos number here is probably your more accurate read in terms of what it means for the state of, of the consumer. We're at six and a half percent on Q3 to, to address your, your question. Yeah. Uh, we have personal consumption slowing to four. But what I'll note is a lot of the growth in the next two to three quarters, maybe even four quarters in the US, I think most of us are expecting is going to come from restocking. So the inventory shortages that, mm -hmm. that, have, that have cropped up, we're all kind of assuming, look, over time, Business is going to want to is going to want to rebuild those stocks, so maybe a, you know a good one to two to maybe even three percentage points of growth in the so, third quarter. I think most of us are thinking come from inventories, right? Mike, so if we don't get that, you're going to get a sharper drop off. Sorry, Lisa. No, no worries, ahead. Michael. Uh, just to sort of uh, pile on what you were saying, retail sales ex auto. You said was the more accurate read. It also came in disappointing, declining mm -hmm. zero point four percent versus the expectation for an increase of zero point two percent. You talk about how the labor market and improvements there are supposed to pick up from where the stimulus checks are leaving off. Off, and yet the labor market is facing the headwind of the Delta variant and the fact that people are staying home more in order to be safe. And there is a question of whether this hampers growth perhaps more than people expect. What do you think? It's, it's certainly possible. I, it's certain, I, I, right now, I think on balance, I'd say I'd be more worried about Delta variant growth uh, in, in places like China and Southeast Asia because of what it could do to intensify supply chain bottlenecks globally in, in the U.S. I just, where the Delta variant is is spreading are, are states that probably aren't going to move to, to lockdown. So I do think you might have a compositional shift away from hotels and airlines and face-to-face -face things back towards goods again. So we could see a bit of a hiccup in that. Certainly doesn't help, <clears throat> I think, is the, is the obvious answer. How much it constrains growth is to yeah. be seen. Again, we we have consumption slowing from almost twelve percent in the second quarter down to four in the third. So I'd say we're baking at least some of that in. What do net exports look like? You mentioned the inventory dynamic again, usually obscure. Not now. Is the dynamics of exports and imports is important? It, well, it is. I mean, the the goods balance is at a is at a record deficit, right? Anything that keeps us buying goods is going to keep us importing a lot of of materials. If there's a restocking cycle in front of us, that means imports are going to be fairly strong as well. So, we seem to be in a situation where most of us were probably looking for the trade deficit to move back, you know, towards towards a surplus, a smaller deficit. 
but maybe we stay at, at record wides even even longer. So I think that the more Delta is a problem, the more we're gonna kind of stick with our pattern of preferring goods over services, and that's likely to keep us importing a lot. Michael Gapen, I always ask this question, 1.30 Eastern is the chairman of the Federal Reserve in a town hall with educators. Do you watch or do you take a long lunch? Oh, I watch. I you always watch, watch the I, chair. I'd, I'd expect you to. Michael Gapen, thank you, sir. It's good to catch up. Thank Bring in David Stubbs, shall we? JP Morgan Chase Bank, global head of market strategy. David, let's start with this equity market at record highs and this idea that margins and margins may not be insulated going into the new year. What's your take on that? Hi, John. Um, I would probably take the other side of that uh, to a certain extent. I think maybe one of the most important things that's going on right now, macroeconomically, and it feeds through the corporate earnings, is that we are in the midst of a productivity shock. Uh, we uh, see very clear evidence of that. I think, firstly, productivity growth started to inflect up in uh, the latter half of the last decade before you know, this, this crisis started to reaccelerate gradually. And I think the crisis forced a, a wave of investment into digital technology, which we're now seeing companies utilize to deal with a rising input cost environment and yet deliver tremendous earnings. So I think that's going to continue for a while. Um, and I think at some point, of course, the, you know, the cycle will pressure margins. But for me, yeah. look at the, the, strength, the strength of investment. Look at the strength of productivity. That's the major driver I see over the next couple of years. Cancel the next three guests. We're going along here with David Stubbs. David, you have hit a third rail with me, which is the new capital deepening. I'm going to go back to the great productivity analysis of 15 years ago. I'm give great credit to Credit Suisse on that. But David Stubbs, there's a new capital deepening, and it's in technology. What does that mean for the stock market? It means great things, Tom. It means uh, your sustainable earnings. It means uh, a capex cycle feeding into into tech's top um, top line as well, uh, and it means uh, significant changes. I think both in how businesses organise themselves internally, kind of business enterprise uh, your software, plus how they talk to their clients and manage their sales force. So kind of you know, sales software, and I think that is one of the, the most powerful trends we're going to see. It's a global trend, and I think it's one which has been turbocharged by the need to all of a sudden go remote, go digital, um, and reduce the in-person contact. And I think you're starting to see the foundations now of a significant uh, boost in productivity for the next two or three years. What happens after that, an open question, but I'll certainly take the overall productivity growth uh, in the next couple of years. Which areas do you think are going to see the most productivity uh, gains? Are we going to see it in the likes of Walmart and Amazon, which have been consolidating uh, power, and going to be more able to automate, or other sectors that perhaps are less bid up? Well, I think certainly you can target the, the companies that are supplying the tools of productivity. And you see that in absolutely cloud computing. Uh, you see that in the, in the software providers. All, all that's uh, enabled by the rollout uh, of, of 5G. Uh, it's, it's enabled by uh, you know, the, the increase in semiconductor demand you know, that we'll see. Uh, Lisa, I think that this is a very broad-based you know, imposition of new technology across the economy, and that's what it really drives productivity cycles. You can measure uh, you know, macroeconomically. There's a, the old uh, adage recently in the last uh, decade that you can see the technological change everywhere except in the productivity numbers. I think that is now starting to change because you've had you know, two or three generations of some of this software. It's now being uh, introduced and, and coursing through the mainstream of the economy. And that's why we, that's, we see these technologies now going from discovery to dissemination. You're starting to see the uptake uh, your cycle. And I think that will, that's will help uh, will maintain margins and drive that bottom line for most of the listed companies. It's amazing see. how many conversations we're having at the moment and hardly mentioning the Federal Reserve. David, what's in that for you? 
the taper story. We're we just comfortable with that now. I think we, I think we are to a certain extent, John. I mean, everyone's been worried about this taper, uh, you know, really since uh, you know, in, uh, all year. I think the communication has been okay. I think your previous guest said there was far too many speakers. There was a lot to keep up with, for, for sure. Um, I think we, we would probably say that we, we don't expect a, you know, a taper tantrum, uh, for sure. I think there's an, a, a, a question about the pace. Uh, you know, of, of, of tapering. And we still think that inflation will fade as we go into the middle of, of next year. We have the Fed hiking in early 23. And I don't think that's you know, too much of a, of a barrier to the market where we are you know, right yeah, now. Yeah. But I'm looking at the minutes tomorrow rather than the speech today for any, any new signs. David, you want to make a prediction out over SPX 5000? Can we get you to do that right now? <laughs> Tom, I think our official numbers are a, a little south of that. Okay, but uh, you're sounding way. You've got to be the biggest bull at J.P. Morgan. Mr. Diamond's going to want you up in the top office there uh, this morning. Let's go Cobb Douglas, David uh, Stubbs. You've got three ratio productivity. You've got capital. You've got labor dynamics. And then you've got this wacko thing, total factor productivity. The technological revolution that we're going to see, where does it show up? Uh, it definitely shows up in total factor productivity, Tom, because that's, you know, firstly, very difficult to measure. It's kind of a, a catch-all for the things you can't you know, clearly yes. see, uh, see day to day. Uh, and, of, of course, you know, Tom, we have to be careful here with the numbers. They're volatile and they get revised. You really need to wait for the, th the third round of GDP and to take, you know, multi-year moving averages to see it. But you can see it. Um, and that's where I think you, you, you'll, you'll start to see the real, uh, your real change. We're also really excited about you know, the innovation you'll see in healthcare, and of course, the, the push in investment through you know, the sustainable trends like clean energy. So I think there's a whole range of technologies here, Tom, that um, we've all been reading about, but haven't really been experiencing. And the 2020s are going to see us integrate those into our daily lives. And you're thinking you're going to see a lot of investable opportunities out of that. Not all of it in large cap stocks, by the way. A lot of that's in, in private investments, and a lot of that is down the, the capitalization spectrum. But it's, it's there, and it's certainly investable. Classic TK, trying to get Stubbs in trouble with Mr. Diamond. I was trying. You know. David Stubbs, thank you, sir. I mean, it's good to catch up with you. He should be writing the MDNA for Jamie Diamond. Let's bring in Francis Donald, Manulife Investment Management Chief Economist and Head of Macroeconomic Strategy. Francis, good to catch up with you again. Peak macro is price, but peak pessimism is not. Your words, what do they mean, Francis? That's the line. So peak macro is a theme that just about everyone understands that the year-over-year -year comparables are going to decline and we're just not going to grow at the speed we were before as we were coming out of the COVID-19 recession. But there are still a lot of areas that can go wrong. We are teetering on a knife's edge here towards a full synchronized global recovery. That's the hope. But there are a lot of things that can go wrong. And what concerns me is that we have yet to see what I think is peak pessimism in this market. That doesn't mean a recession tomorrow. It doesn't mean we're going to see a collapse of cross assets, but it does mean that there's scope for disappointment, particularly on the consumer side. We've not had a good give back there. I think we might start to see a variety of growth data points that make us a little bit more nervous. Okay, so in the nirvana of a boom economy, Francis, where the biggest decision was do you stake your reputation a 9% growth or 10% real growth. Now we're on to something new. How do you model an economy that we've never seen before? This is the problem I have, Tom. And, and the biggest question I have when I wake up every day is, is Delta the fourth and final wave of COVID? Or are we going to be in rolling variants that shave growth off on a more sustained basis for several years? Because the implications are very, very different. 
Right now, we're seeing prices that are so high. Consumers are telling us we don't want to buy houses and cars and large purchases. That was the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index that was very shocking to a lot of people. Is that just demand delayed or is it demand destroyed? And that's the biggest question that's on our plate. For now, we can confidently say it's at least delayed. The Delta is at least a blip. But if we're enrolling variants and we see consumers who say, I'm going to permanently pull back even if I'm vaccinated, that's a very different outlook. It's one with lower potential GDP, a lower neutral rate for the Fed, and a very different type of two to five year out outlook right now. Six months ago, people would say a low, lower neutral rate for the Fed meant higher stock valuations. This actually gave a boost to risk assets. Are we moving away from that kind of paradigm because people have already priced in all of these low rates for the foreseeable future? It's a good point, Lisa. And up until this point, very weak economic data has been associated with lower yields. It has been a bonds play, not a cross-asset play. But we should probably watch for the potential that as we move towards peak pessimism, we see some wobbliness in other asset classes. But, you know, as you know, I'm an asset allocator. I spend a lot of my time supporting asset allocation funds. There is truly not a lot of places to go. And if you want to deliver your expected returns for these portfolios, you have to move further out the risk curve. What I think we also need to think about is that shift towards alternatives, infrastructure, agriculture, REITs are doing very well in this environment. There are different asset classes that are going to continue to benefit structurally from that lower rate environment. Absolutely. But in the near term, just like you mentioned here with Home Depot, we may see some disappointment happening on the earnings front. And that's going to mean we see a little bit of wobbliness in other asset classes as well. Francis, can we skip Chairman Powell today? Can I give that a miss? <laughs> I, I wish I wish that I could skip all of the Fed speak, but I think you have a little bit of a point here, which is that what are we going to learn that we don't already know? We know that a taper is coming. The biggest disagreement on Wall Street right now, is it September, is it December? Guess what? It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. What matters to me is how that taper is constructed. How long do they indicate it's going to extend for or hint at? What is the composition of it? Does Powell successfully divorce the idea that tapering leads you into rate hikes and give himself some flexibility? So it's not the when, it's the how of the taper that's going to be the most market moving, not the date. So I'd love to hear a little bit of that. I think Powell's uh, has a lot of disagreement behind him on the Fed. He's probably going to go down the middle of the line. But of course, we'll be watching headlines just like usual. With educators. I'm not sure if that's the forum to get all of that done. We'll see. Francis, thank you. As always, Francis Donald, Manu Life Investment Management, Global Chief Economist and Head of Macroeconomic Strategy. Right now, Joe Feldman joins from Telsey Advisory Group here on Walmart on the rest of the big blocks as well. I want to point out Home Depot over the last 10 years up 28% per year. Joe Feldman, does the next decade look as rosy for these guys as Home Depot of the last 10 years? Well, the big guys keep getting bigger. They keep taking market share. So, yeah, we think things do look pretty rosy. There's going to be some bumps in the road. You know, right. for example, Home Depot, things are slowing a little bit, but uh, that'll be temporary. It'll pass through time and they'll be continue to grow over the longer term, right. for sure. One of the most important things in the Bloomberg, folks, in terms of like, why do you get a Bloomberg terminal in that, is you can see the float, the institutional ownership versus the float in a couple mm -hmm. key clicks. And there's two groups. There's Home Depot and Amazon. It's 72% of float. And Joe Feldman, the rest, like Walmart, are at 60-ish percent of float. What's the partition there for institutions? 
Yeah, I think they're just like these fortress companies that are, are like I said, they're dominating in retail. They're, they execute really well. They're gaining market share. They've got you know customers that want to go and shop at those stores. And as leaders in their respective spaces, that it just keeps institutions really invested in some of these names. And I think that you know th there's others. I think you know Walmart, Target, Lowe's. I think are like that. Costco, you could put in that camp as well. So there's definitely some some big behemoth retailers that continue to consolidate um, the share in out there that, that's available to them. Joe, this sounds like a great story. It sounds like it would be a buy. Walmart shares up about 4%, 4.6% on the year. Today, after beating earnings, beating forecasts across the board, better than expected, showing that they are continuing to see gains even post-pandemic, shares down 1.4% right now in pre-market trading. How do you make sense of this? Yeah, I, candidly, it's a little surprising to me. I mean, and, and especially with the setup for the back half where Walmart's got so much momentum going into back to school and into holiday, they've clearly got the inventory as much as their supply chain pressures out there. Their inventory was up nicely. So they're set up very well for a back half. I'm a little surprised that customers are selling uh, or investors are selling on this news. Um, you know, I think that they, they perform quite well. Traffic was up. You know, their same source sales were better than expected. They raised their full year guidance. I mean, there's a lot of things going well. And, and you know, even with that e-commerce sales number coming in a little bit lighter at 6%, you know, we were hoping it was going to be more like 10%. Last year, it was up 97%. So six on top of 97 is not so bad. You know, I, I'm okay with that. And I think that they're going to continue to execute well through this period. I mean, especially with the, the fiscal stimulus and the government support that's there for this consumer uh, with the child tax credit. It, it's The setup is still very good for the back half for Walmart. You mentioned the key issue that I think a lot of people are pointing to, the disappointment in e-commerce sales and the progress made there or lack thereof relative to the boom of last year. And there does seem to be a concern about this horse race. Who's going to get ahead when it comes to online sales? Because this is the new economy. What should investors be looking for in terms of investment in the e-commerce space, in terms of market share, in terms of progress to make them feel like the store is going to come out ahead in the era of Walmart, Target and Amazon? Well, listen, I, I, we've been thinking that sales online were going to slow this year and they clearly have. Um, you know, and, and doing positive performance is still very good. You know, a lot of us would have thought against a 97% increase last year that you'd see a negative even. And so I think that, you know, between Walmart, Amazon, Target, they're continuing to gain eyeballs online and gain market share online. And I think that that's coming at the expense of a lot of weaker players. I think Walmart, Amazon, Target, again, Costco, the others have done a very good job of providing a very broad range of, of product to be able to get and procure online. And we see them continuing to gain market share. Even Amazon, look, they had a, uh, their second quarter was soft by Amazon standards, right? Their, their um, prime day was a little bit softer than we all expected. And, and the quarter itself was a little softer. So, you know, that trend line against the comparison from last year makes some sense. And when you look at it on a two-year basis, you know, compared to 2019 levels pre-COVID, things are, are looking pretty solid for, for a lot of these guys. Joe Foundman, good to hear from you, sir. As always, thank you. Towsie Senior Research Analyst and Assistant Director of Research. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations 
and subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.